The views and opinions expressed during I and the Triangle do not represent WKNC or the student media. Your dial is currently tuned to I and the Triangle at WKNC 88.1. Thanks for listening. Hello everyone, I'm Aaron Kling for WKNC 88.1's I Am The Triangle, and tonight we'll be discussing COVID-19. Naturally, all of you have heard quite a bit about this disease so far, but we at I Am The Triangle thought it would be good to close out the end of 2020 with a breakdown of what we know about COVID. We'll do our best to strive to present you with information that you haven't already heard a thousand times, alright? Let's begin then. What do we know about COVID-19 now that we didn't know about to begin with? As anyone would expect, researchers worldwide have been studying COVID-19 essentially nonstop. Today, compared to its identification in Wuhan, China in the month of December, we have more lab research, case studies, and examples of the disease among the public than ever before. Let's go over a few. COVID-19 was originally believed to primarily target the elderly, with risk of complications growing alongside the age of the patient. Unfortunately, we are now aware that children can present more than mild symptoms once infected, and one in three children that are hospitalized will require transfer to an intensive care unit. SARS-CoV-2 has largely been identified as a respiratory virus. Common understanding of its effects compare it a lot to the flu, and any of our listeners that have long memories We'll remember that health officials stated as much here on Eye on the Triangle. For the most part, these details remain true. SARS-CoV-2 infections can give a person aches, fever, chills, coughing, everything you would expect. Yet research has also demonstrated that the virus can have worrying secondary effects in the body, even after it has been defeated by our immune system. Our bodies, worked into a frenzy by the presence of a pathogen, can cause inflammation of the tissue of the heart. This can create chest pain, and further down the road can increase your risk of heart failure. Additionally, COVID fog, a state of persistent absent-mindedness, has been reported in the wake of some cases. It's sort of like you're stuck in confusion, like everything doesn't really make as much sense. This can leave the affected individual unbalanced for weeks, even after the disease passes. These effects have even been reported in individuals who experienced mild symptoms, leaving researchers wondering what the long-term prognosis for survivors will entail. Though COVID-19 remains serious, we've learned a few things that may make it easier to deal with. Firstly, vaccine production can be achieved much faster than experts previously believed was possible. More on this later, but consider that we may be seeing vaccines by 2021. A lightning-quick development timetable, considering such treatments normally take 10 to 15 years to complete. COVID has a low rate of mutation, at least when compared to other viruses. While we have seen some variation and mutations in COVID over the course of the pandemic, this has really resulted only in one major branch, which did little to change the danger or infectivity of the disease. The low amount of mutation is excellent news, both for researching treatments, cures, and preventative measures, as well as for ensuring the disease's impact doesn't worsen. 
Despite all the research that has gone into this pandemic, there is still plenty we have yet to understand. For example, when some individuals contract COVID-19, they report very mild symptoms or even no symptoms. This can make the disease appear to be a cold or an outbreak of allergies, and generally has done plenty to make everyone terribly paranoid every time they get a little tickle in their throat. Because COVID doesn't hit everyone like a cold, for the unlucky, it can drop oxygen levels in blood, constrict breathing, and leave the infected hacking and wheezing. For others, it can cause a storm of autoimmune responses, where cells attack bodily organs until death. Researchers still cannot determine what causes the illness to damage some, and only inconvenience others. Current theories point to a failure of interferon proteins in the body that engage our immune system's defenses. Without the crucial first response of these interferon proteins, no alarms really go off in the body, and you give the virus a head start, so to speak. This intensifies symptoms and can increase lethality. Yet, in other patients, it's actually the immune system causing most of the problems, with an excess of the protein interleukin-6 and TNF-alpha. When these are in higher concentrations in the body, it seems to lead to higher morbidity, that's death and just generally a negative prognosis, over time. Also of interest is whether or not an infection of SARS-CoV-2 can grant a stable and long-lasting period of immunity. Common knowledge states that once you get a disease, you can never get it again. Sure, maybe you might catch a different strain floating around out there, but at least your body won't fall for the same trick twice, right? Well, some good news here. In this case, that appears to be true. Studies have shown that antibodies, and specially produced T-cells, remain in the body on standby for further attacks from COVID and persist for at least six months' time. The issue here is that a few individuals appear to have suffered reinfections despite successfully staving off the virus the first time. What this means is that even with a six-month window, there is still some measure of risk for reinfection. In the case of the original SARS and the very similar MERS, both of which are coronaviruses, immunity lasts a year. Though nothing is certain, if SARS-2 persists in the environment like other diseases, such as influenza, then a year of immunity will prove to be pretty short in the long run. So, with all this information, where are we now? How has COVID-19 affected the United States? Uh, well, listeners, the short answer here is badly. I've seen individuals compare SARS-CoV-2 to some of the worst diseases in history. The Black Deaths, Yersinia, Pestis, Medievalis, the Spanish Flu's H1N1, this comparison is usually made to downplay SARS-CoV-2, to demonstrate that we've survived vastly worse and that the pandemic is nothing to really be afraid of. I cannot stress this enough. That is a wrong-headed way to look at this. Remember, we don't have a handle on SARS-CoV-2 right now, unlike those diseases of the past. It may not be the deadliest disease in history, but it's the disease that's killing thousands of Americans daily. 300,000 Americans have died so far, and the numbers aren't going down. Week by week, they're trending upwards. Over the summer, death rates were dropping, but now in mid-December, they're the highest they've ever been. 3,293 people died in America 
on December 16th alone. Globally, we're number one in new infections and deaths, and have been for months. The population hit hardest within our nation are Black and Latinx, both of whom have a higher chance of dying from a COVID-19 infection. We're simply not taking care of our people. There's no bright side to this, no silver lining. SARS-CoV-2 may have flu-like symptoms, but it's not killing us like a seasonal flu would. This is the pandemic in our laps right this instant. Rising cases means a higher chance of critically ill patients heading to hospitals, and that means more stress on a system unprepared for this eventuality. This could lead to doctors having to make some hard decisions between patients, and this is something we've already seen during the Italian health crisis. In Kentucky, hospitals have begun establishing triage centers to determine treatment courses for an expected larger influx of patients. In Utah, a medical system stretched to the breaking point is beginning to report that informal rationing of care is just what has to happen for patients to survive. So yeah, now would be a really great time for a vaccine to be released. As we've established that COVID-19's coronavirus relatives can reinfect after about a year, a vaccine is crucial to finally end this pandemic. As mentioned before, vaccine programs have gone through an accelerated approval and testing program that has no equal in history. Over 200 vaccines are in production now, with Pfizer and Moderna's mRNA-based injections reportedly 95% effective in preventing infection. Some countries, such as the United Arab Emirates, China, Russia, and Great Britain, have already begun provisional or emergency distribution of their own vaccines to their citizens. So what about the U.S.? Unfortunately, vaccine distribution isn't going to be like a movie release. There isn't going to be some location where everyone can go to acquire a vaccine. Once a vaccine gets approved outright, we're not all going to get it right away. So first, what's going to happen? Tens of millions of healthcare workers are going to get the vaccine, followed shortly afterwards by extreme risk individuals in care homes across the nation. The vaccine's path will follow a sort of essential worker hierarchy from there, making its way to the hands of the general populace and supposedly being given to children last due to children having a generally lower risk. But the thing is, that's just the overall plan. These mRNA treatments, they begin to degrade at temperatures above negative 94 degrees. That means the process of transporting vaccines alone will be a serious strain for many locations. Expect that urban areas will receive the vaccine first, and then it will flow outwards to rural regions. So, some outlets have mentioned that vaccines should begin circulating along these lines by the spring, but remember that not everyone will get them, at least not immediately. We've done quite a bit of waiting already, but make no mistake, things aren't going to get easier from here. So, I'll leave you with the usual then. Wear a mask outside, stay six feet apart, wash your hands frequently, stay healthy for yourself and for your family. At this point, it's all routine, right? This is my last show, everybody. After this, there'll be someone brand new at the microphone. Thanks for making my time here unforgettable. It has really been a heck of a year, right? For WKNC 88.1's I Am The Triangle, I'm Aaron Clay, signing off.